Well, again, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, as you can tell, I'm recording this from home. Uh, many of you know that we typically pre-record our services earlier in the week, and uh, we actually had a guest speaker scheduled for today, and we had everything kind of ready to put the live stream together. Uh, but as I was thinking and praying about everything that happened this past week in Atlanta, uh, I just couldn't shake the feeling that perhaps we should maybe save that sermon for another Sunday. And so uh, it is currently Saturday evening, and uh, I let our staff know just a few hours ago that I wanted to call an audible for this week. And so um, all that to say, uh, please show me some grace today. Um, I don't have a polished sermon I've prepared for you, uh, but I just felt like if there were ever a week that I would want to address our church personally, uh, it would be this one. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the eight people whose lives were tragically stolen from them this past Tuesday. And um, what has especially been heavy on my heart is the fact that six of them were Asian women, women whose stories have yet to be fully told. And, you know, I don't know if it's because I've been thinking about my own mom a lot more recently, uh, but these past few days have been pretty overwhelming, to say the least. You know, to me, uh, these aren't just women who worked at spas. These are our mothers. They're our sisters. They're our aunts. They're our grandmothers. They're us. And no matter how hard we try, um, I don't think we can separate our stories from theirs. And I believe it is our responsibility, not only as Asian Americans, but as followers of Jesus, to rehumanize those whom the world has too often dehumanized. And um, I've spoken to so many of you over the past few days uh, who've shared with me that you're angry, numb, uh, mentally and emotionally exhausted, uh, all of the above. And uh, I just want to let you know it's okay. You know, I want to validate all of these emotions and remind us that God gives us permission to feel all of these things. You know, I know that many of you have been gaslit in your workplaces and in your respective circles by those who've tried to minimize what has been happening to Asian Americans since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, by those who have dismissed what happened in Atlanta as nothing more than a man acting upon his sexual frustrations, uh, as though there were no correlation between the ongoing sexualization and objectification of Asian women in our culture and such senseless acts of violence. Uh, but I just want to say this as clearly as I possibly can. I do not believe these are isolated events. I believe they are symptomatic of a broader culture that has historically stripped people of color of their dignity and value as human beings created in the image of God. And I believe it is incumbent on the church to call these injustices out and name them for what they are. I feel like we've been talking about this throughout the pandemic, that it's time for the church to be the church. Um, now, to be honest, uh, I'm still processing my own thoughts and emotions. Um, on one hand, there are so many things I want to say. And on the other, there are no words to express the pain our community is experiencing right now. And um, in times like these, I'm so grateful for the Word of God that gives voice to the breadth and complexity of our emotions and, and speaks to us the exact things we need to hear in our moments of greatest need. And so this morning, I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 33. 
Uh, if you can choose your translation, I'll be reading from the NIV. This is the reading of God's word. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Amen. Uh, you know, I've read this passage many times before, and um, I have to say that it speaks to me on such a different level today than ever before. Um, just to provide a little bit of context for us here, uh, this is Jesus' last miracle before he rides into Jerusalem. And I think it's very fitting we're talking about this today because next week is Palm Sunday. It's the very day we commemorate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And I think Matthew's presentation of this story at this juncture in the narrative is very telling. You know, Jesus is getting ready to do the very thing he came to this earth to do. He undoubtedly has so much on his mind right now as he's making his way to Jerusalem. His closest friends who've been with him from the very beginning still don't fully understand who he is. They're still unable to grasp what he's about to do. And then from the crowd, Jesus hears the voice of two blind beggars who cry out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it's so interesting, right, that they call Jesus Lord, Son of David before he's even healed them of their blindness. In fact, they call him that twice. In other words, in their blindness, they already understand who Jesus is. He's not just Lord of those who see, but he's Lord of those who are blind, marginalized, discarded, and forgotten. In fact, the great irony here is that those who see Jesus most clearly for who he is aren't his disciples or the religious leaders of his day. It's two blind men. And here in their desperation, they cry out to Jesus to get his attention only to be rebuked by the crowd telling them to be quiet, to stay silent, to stop bothering him. You have no idea how triggering this is as a second generation Korean American who for my entire life has been told, be quiet, don't speak up, don't stir the pot, don't anger those in charge or those in power just put your head down and survive. And as long as you do that, we'll reward you. Right? This is the model minority myth. It's a myth that seeks to erase the long history of anti-Asian sentiment in this country by saying, look at these nice Asians. Look how successful and educated they are. Look how quiet they are. They're proof that racism doesn't exist. You see, it's a myth that has sought to silence the stories of oppression faced by so many in our community. And the saddest part about this is that so many of us, myself included, have at different points in our lives embraced this myth as reality. We've listened to the crowds telling us to be quiet and we've chosen to remain invisible. But this is why this story in Matthew 20 is so powerful. Because Jesus does have places to go. He's a busy man. 
He's about to go save the world. And yet it says in verse 32 that he stops. He stops. And he calls out to these two blind men saying, what do you want me to do for you? And what people don't realize is that even though Jesus hasn't yet healed these two men of their blindness, he's already healing them simply by acknowledging their presence. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm sure many of you have read uh, actor Stephen Yun's quote in the New York Times uh, when he says, Sometimes I wonder if the Asian American experience is what it's like when you're thinking about everyone else, but nobody else is thinking about you. And isn't this so true of so many of our experiences growing up in school, uh, in our workplaces, where we're constantly asking everyone else what they need. We're constantly thinking about uh, what everyone else is feeling and very rarely being asked what we need. And so when Jesus asks these blind men, what do you need me to do for you? He's reminding us that he didn't just come to heal our physical ailments. He came to give a voice to those without a voice. He came to restore people back to their communities. He came to expose and call out and overturn the systemic structures and powers of oppression that previously excluded women, children, sick and poor from full, meaningful lives. And what this means for us is that as a church in 2021, it is not an option for us to just ignore the injustices that continue to persist in our country that continue to divide our communities, that continue to pit people of color against one another. No, as followers of Jesus, we are called to use our voice to speak truth to power and to bring healing and restoration to communities that have long been marginalized and forgotten. Well, the second thing I want to point out for us uh, from this passage is that, you know, you would think, right, that uh, as the time draws near for Jesus to be made known officially as king, that he would slowly begin to draw away from people, right? Because this is typically what happens when a person grows in stature and influence and power. They begin to rule from a distance because distance creates reverence. Distance creates admiration. You know, they don't deal as much with individuals. They give orders from afar. But here just a few verses removed from his entrance into Jerusalem as the long-awaited king of Israel, we get one of the most intimate interactions of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and I don't think that's an accident. Could Jesus have healed these blind men from a distance? Absolutely. We've seen him do it multiple times throughout his ministry. And yet here in this pivotal moment, he chooses instead to stand face to face with these men and he touches their eyes. He touches them. Amidst all that's happening, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the crowds and the noise, Jesus draws near. This is the compassion of our Lord, one who hears the cries of the oppressed and then moves toward them, not away from them. You know, one of the dangers of our present moment is that I think so much of what we're seeing in the news and on social media right now, uh, even about these recent events, actually pulls us further away from the real stories of those who've been victimized as a result of the ongoing hostility and hatred in our nation. 
And you know, as we start to paint with these broad brush strokes, as we start to put people into these neat monolithic boxes, we actually risk doing the very thing we are trying to fight against. And you know, a lot of my non-Asian friends this week have been asking me, what can they do to help in this moment? And I think we can learn a lot from Jesus here. We seek out the ones who are hurting and we sit with them. We grieve with them. We listen to their stories. Because I guarantee you, we will not be compelled to act out of anything other than guilt unless we begin to humanize those who are victims of oppression. You know, I've talked to a lot of people this week who said, you know, I feel really ashamed saying this, but the incidents in Atlanta didn't really do anything for me. You know, until I started reading the stories of those who lost their lives, until I realized that these were real people with real hopes and real dreams and real families, because the moment we begin to intimately connect ourselves with the marginalized, those are the moments we begin to embody the way of Jesus. A God who was so intimately connected with his people that he bore our sin and shame as if they were his own. And on the cross, Jesus carried in his own body all the wounds and all the forgotten cries of generations of his people. Why? In order to secure a new future for all of God's creation. And do you see, friends? This is the future that we as followers of Jesus are now called to be a part of. To stop. To listen. To give a voice to those without a voice. To be agents of God's healing and restoration in this world, even if it means we have to die to our privilege, our preferences, and our power. Uh, to my Asian sisters and brothers tuning in today, I want you to know that you're seen. You aren't invisible. God hears you and he stops for you. You know, my parents uh, immigrated to this country in 1984. And uh, like many of your parents, they worked hard. Um, they gave up everything to secure a future for me and my brother that we are now living in as we speak. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but my parents were valedictorians in high school um, and college. They were smart, gifted people who probably never imagined they would spend the prime of their careers working in a dry cleaners or doing odd jobs where they were constantly belittled, mocked, and undermined. But they put their heads down and they did it. And this week I asked myself, how did they do that? How did they just not give up? And then I remembered something. And I remembered all those mornings as a kid, hearing my parents get up at 4.30, 5 a.m. to pray. And to this day, I still hear in my head their three consecutive shouts of Chuya, 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 which means Lord in Korean. And I'm sure it's a cry that's familiar to many of us who grew up with Korean parents. And today I can't help but hear their voices echoed in the voices of the two blind men who cried out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, do you see us? Lord, do you hear us? It's a cry that carries with it years of trauma, oppression, and grief. Years of feeling disconnected from their families and their culture. Years of feeling rejected and forgotten. But I believe today, we, as their children and grandchildren, have the opportunity to respond to their cries. 
we as the church have the opportunity to enact the very heart of Jesus who stopped, who listened, who validated, and ultimately healed. And so as we close today in prayer, I want to give us a moment collectively to just pause and take a breath, to sit in silence before God, knowing that he's with us and that he sees us in our pain. Let's pray. God of mercy, we are weak and weary. We grieve yet another heinous act of injustice in our country, incidents that are becoming so common that many of us have come to expect them. But we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Today we mourn alongside the families and loved ones of the eight image bearers whose lives were tragically cut short in an act of unthinkable violence and hatred. I know that many of us are feeling the emotional toll of all that has happened this past year, and we ask for your help. Give us the strength to continue to fight against injustice, to be ambassadors of the gospel in a world that so desperately needs it. We thank you that you are with us in our pain, and we entrust our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.